Well, it's great to be back with everyone again this evening. Um, hopefully, uh, you enjoyed uh, learning a little bit about Samson this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at someone a little bit different this, this evening. Uh, we're going to look at another character within the Bible, but, he, but compared to Samson, he's got a relatively minor role, actually a pretty significantly minor role compared to Samson. Um, he's going to be a young man named Epaphroditus. You may not even have ever heard of him before, but I think you'll, you'll enjoy his story, and you'll, it'll, it, I think it's interesting, and hopefully uh, you will all as well. Um, the passage we're going to be looking at tonight is Philippians 2, 25 through 30. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, open it up to that section, and we'll, we'll read his story. It reads like this, Philippians 2, 25. It says this, I, But I think it's necessary... To send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him. So that when you see him again, you may be glad and have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of the gospel or the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. And so when we first read this passage, you might find it interesting, but but if we were to set the stage and we were to get some context behind it, it becomes a little bit even, it becomes a little bit deeper. And so, if you remember, I, I, I did a sermon a little while back on, from Philippians, and I gave you the context of the book, a book of Philippians. If you were there for that, it'll be a little bit of review. If you weren't, well, then you get it again. So in this passage, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. Now, the city of Philippi was a Roman colony, uh, which is different than a Roman-occupied area. Uh, a Roman-occupied area was most of the Roman world. So, for instance, Jerusalem was a Roman-occupied area. If you, were, if you were born in Jerusalem, uh, you were still a Jew, but you were under Roman control. And actually, most of the Roman Empire was that, where there was just Roman-occupied areas. You kept your nationality, but you were under Roman control. You had Roman governors. You had to pay Roman taxes. You had to do all of those things. Now, a Roman colony, though, is different, which is what Philippi was. A Roman colony was treated like a city in Italy, so like Rome or those cities there. If you were born in a Roman colony— then you got to be a Roman citizen just by birth. You got a bunch of tax benefits. You got a bunch of business benefits, some marriage benefits. It was a really good thing to be a Roman citizen. And if, so to be part of a Roman colony, there was a lot of national pride. There was a lot of Romanness there. So Philippi was an, almost an entirely Gentile city. Uh, and we, we see that because we know that, the, that in the founding of the church of Philippi, there were, weren't even enough Jewish men to make a synagogue. So we're talking about an almost entirely Gentile city. Now, the city of Philippi, uh, for a long time in history, was a pretty minor player on the world stage. It was originally conquered by Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedonia. He named it after himself, because that's what you did in those days. You conquered a city, and you said, hey, must be pretty important. Now it's called my name. So he named it Philippi. Uh, And it was a relatively insignificant city until a major battle was fought there. The city of Philippi became a major player in the world stage in 42 B.C., uh, when, uh, when two, or when actually four very well-known Roman generals fought a battle there. In 42 B.C., 
Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius in the final major battle of the Roman Republic. Uh, this, that battle is recognized by a lot of historians as the actual end of the Roman Republic and the beginning of the Roman Empire, which is how you're familiar with the Roman Empire. It's, it's, it used to be a bunch of regions, and then this unifies them all under one Roman Empire. So because of this battle and because of the fact that this city had gold deposits, Philippi became a powerful city within the Roman Empire. But its most distinguishing characteristic is that it became a place for wealthy Roman army veterans to retire. And that's going to matter a lot for the story we're looking at today. So we have a city of almost entirely Gentiles, almost entirely retired Roman army veterans. Okay? So that's a little bit on Philippi itself. But in order for us to understand this passage a little bit more, we also need to understand Paul's situation when he writes this. So this section, the the letter of Philippi was written by Paul. And when he was writing it, he was under house arrest in Rome. Now, house arrest in Rome is a little bit different than house arrest today. House arrest today, you wear a little thing on your ankle, right? And you can pretty much go anywhere because they can track you. Now, I think you're limited to... I don't know, it's probably different all the time. Marv, you probably know better than I do. <laughs> Not because you have been under house arrest, but because... <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but you, so you're given a limited range, but you can go out of your house and you're just tracked that way. Well, it's different in Rome. In Rome, when you were under house arrest, you were in a house, which was nice, but you weren't allowed to leave. Okay? So you were there, you got, a, you got the comfort of a home, which is better than a hole in the wall, of course. But you can't leave, which means you can't make any money. You can't buy anything because you can't go out to the market to get it. You're stuck there. There actually are guards there making sure that you don't leave your house. And that's where Paul was. So that means that Paul needs other people to do that kind of work for him. He needs other people to give him money because he can't make any. And he also needs other people to run errands for him. So if he needs food, somebody's got to run out and get it. And so at the time of this letter... We know that Timothy was there with Paul taking care of him. Actually, if you were to read the verses a few, few verses before uh, verse 25 that we read here, you'll see that Timothy was there with him. And so Timothy was taking care of Paul's needs at this time. But uh, Timothy had been trained and was a very good preacher, and so he was needed in other parts of the world. Paul had a desire to send him out. He wasn't able to at this point, but he desired to. And so here's where, here's where Epaphroditus comes into play. So the Philippian church in the early church era was known for being incredibly generous. They were actually a huge part of the early church's financial backing pretty much all across the known world. They, they, they were generous to the church in Jerusalem, which is significant because like we said, we're talking about an almost exclusive Gentile church. The church in Jerusalem was almost exclusively Jewish. And so for the church of Philippi to support the church in Jerusalem— it shows their generous spirit. Because they don't, the, the, the phrases that Paul writes there is neither Jew nor Greek uh, really sunk into the church of Philippi, and they took that very seriously. And they were known for being generous. They actually had a number of occasions to either help out Paul or other churches with their financial gifts, and that's actually what we see here. Uh, the, letter of Phil, the, Philippi, the letter of Philippians itself is actually written in response to a large gift that, they, that the Philippian church gave to support Paul while he was in prison. 
And so if you read the book of Philippians, Paul has a lot of really good things to say about the Philippian church. Uh, and they honestly deserve that. So the Philippian church wants to give a gift to Paul because they know he's in, he's in under house arrest and he needs that gift. Now, as you probably guessed, during this time, there were no banks just to transfer money. So if you actually wanted to give money, you had to load up a sack with coins and then you had to have somebody deliver it to where it needed to go, right? Uh, banking came during the Middle Ages, so it wasn't around at this point. So that's what the Philippians did. They, they, loaded, up a, uh, they loaded up a bag full of money, and they gave it to Epaphroditus. That was his job. He, he was the courier. His, his mission, his, his goal was to deliver the coins to Paul. Now, he was, he was supposed to, re, but he was supposed to deliver the coins to Paul, so Paul would have money to spend, but his, he was also supposed to replace Timothy as Paul's caretaker. Epaphroditus himself was part of the gift. He was going to go there, replace Timothy, probably learn under Paul as well to become a preacher or pastor or whatever. We don't know because he ends up getting sent back, obviously. Um, but he was part of the gift. He was supposed to deliver the coins and be Paul's caretaker. But we see from this story, on the way from Philippi to Rome, which is about two, uh, 2,060 kilometers or 1,280 miles. And just to put that in perspective for you, that's from about here to Orlando. So, if you were, so it's not an undoable amount of space, but it's not short either. And remember, we're traveling either by foot or by horseback. It's a long way to go, right? It's not a simple one-day journey. I mean, it's what, is it 24 hours in a car or something like that? Imagine doing that on foot. It's going to take a long time. So that's the journey. Uh, Epaphroditus needs to go from Philippi to Rome, which is about from here to Orlando. And on the way, he gets sick. Like really sick. Like almost dead sick. And being sick on a journey like that, I, as you can probably imagine, is incredibly dangerous, first of all, I mean, because you don't have health care, uh, but it's also incredibly taxing, right? You, when you get to the end, you're probably glad to be done and never want to do something like that again. So Epaphroditus makes it, though. He doesn't die, which is good for both him and for Paul. Paul says that himself. And so after some time of recovery, this is probably not a one-day turnaround here. Paul has to write the entire book of Philippians, which is by hand, and he has to think it through and pray over and things like that. So it takes some time. Um, but after some time, uh, Paul, Paul decides that it would be best for Epaphroditus to go back to Philippi and just stay there rather than do what he had been sent to do. And so actually, it's very likely that Epaphroditus carried the original book of Philippians or the letter of Philippians, right? When Paul got done writing it, probably handed it off to Epaphroditus and had sent him back to Philippi. So that's the context of where we are for Paul, the Philippian church, and Epaphroditus. But there's a little bit more that we have to understand too to kind of illuminate this passage. So Paul's going to send Epaphroditus back. But if he just shows back up in Philippi without any explanation, that would have been a problem. You see, he had been sent on a mission, and he would have been expected to complete that mission. And so we, we talked about this already, but remember the context we are, we're in. Philippi is a town of retired soldiers. It's reasonably possible to, to think that Epaphroditus may have been a soldier himself at one point. So, if he had failed the mission that he had been sent on, it would have been a huge disgrace for him. One of the, one of the key characteristics of military folk throughout time is that they are about completing the mission that they were sent to do, right? They're given a task that's something that they 
that they are expected to finish. And so, if, if, like we said, if Epaphroditus was just to have shown up and they were to perceive him as having failed his mission, that would have been a big disgrace to Epaphroditus. And so Paul makes sure that doesn't happen. So I'm actually going to read the passage again, and I want you to listen to it this time in the context that we talked about and see if that illuminates it a little bit. So we're in Philippians 2, verse 25, which says this, But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I, have, I may have less anxiety. With, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. So when we put it in context, this passage reads a little bit differently, doesn't it? Paul is explaining to the Philippian church what, hap- what happened. He's letting the Philippian church know that, one, he's not displeased with their gift. He's very thankful for it. But he's also letting them know that he is not displeased with Epaphroditus himself. He's actually letting them know it's exactly the opposite. Paul begins by giving Epaphroditus a bunch of really great titles. He calls him my brother, which is a term of closeness and high regard. He calls him a co-worker, meaning that Paul thinks he's been doing good work like Paul has been doing, like Timothy has been doing, like the great people who who've helped form and found the early church. Something the Philippians clearly valued because that's where they, they, they put their energy and time. And then the final one, he calls him a fellow soldier. So in case he were to get back and they were to think he's some kind of wimp or some kind of weakling or some kind of not tough person, Paul's saying he's not. He's a soldier. He's tough and stable. And you should view him like that because that was big in the context that we're writing into, right? Paul makes sure through this description that when Epaphroditus returns to Philippi, he won't be shamed. Paul makes sure that there isn't any doubt surrounding Epaphroditus' commitment to the gospel or his toughness as a person. But Paul continues on in verse 29. Paul says, Welcome him in the Lord with with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. See, Paul doesn't only want Epaphroditus not to be shamed. He wants to make sure that he's honored, that he receives the credit that's due to him. He tells the church to welcome him with great joy and to celebrate his return. He encourages the church of Philippi to actually set up Epaphroditus as an example for other people to follow. They say, honor him, and if there's anybody else doing anything like him, honor them too with the hope that more people will do things like Epaphroditus would do, that would sell out for the gospel in the way that Epaphroditus has. Paul says to honor Epaphroditus because, he's, he is, because he believes he deserves honor. So I don't know about you, but I, that story to me was, was pretty special. I thought it was neat that 2,000 years later we get to talk about this guy named Epaphroditus who almost died on the way to Philippi. 
who probably thought he was going to be an insignificant blip on the historical radar and yet gets six verses in the, in the, in the uh, book of Philippi. Philippians, I mean. The other thing uh, that, that, is, that I like to think about when I think about Epaphroditus, and we don't know this for sure, but it's possible that Epaphroditus hadn't actually even seen the letter he was carrying for Paul, that Paul may have written it down and handed it to Epaphroditus to carry to, carry to Philippi. Now, what would have happened when the letter of the Philippians got to Philippi is that they would have called together a large church gathering. They would have gotten everybody together, and then someone would stand up, and kind of like we are now, and they would read the entire letter. So up in front of everybody, they'd read the entire letter and everybody would listen. They'd read it out loud so everybody can hear. What I like to think, and I don't know this for sure, but I would like to think that the first time Epaphroditus gets to hear these words of Paul was in that context. Now, of course, we don't know that. But wouldn't that be really neat, right? So if he thought that maybe he failed, and then he actually gets to hear these words in front of the whole community. And honestly, whether, whether or not he knew what was written there or not, that still would be a pretty special moment, right? That Epaphroditus was there, he may have already known what Paul had written, or maybe he doesn't, but it still gets to be read in front of everybody while he's there. And so just imagine, if you would, what it would be like to be Epaphroditus in that case. It'd be pretty special. You'd feel pretty decent about yourself, wouldn't you? You'd be encouraged from Paul writing those kinds of things. So the story of Epaphroditus is interesting. And we can all feel good for the guy a little bit, but what do we do with it all? What does it mean to us here and now? And that's what I want to close with tonight. The book of Philippians isn't very long. It's only four chapters, 104 verses. But Paul feels it necessary to give Epaphroditus six of those. That's 5% of the book about. I know there's accountants that were doing real math. and They're like, it's not exactly 5%, but it's close. That's not nothing, right? Out of a book, to get 5% to this, this guy here is significant. So Paul must have wanted people to know about him. And so there really are two things that I want us all to take away from this passage. First, is that we see in this passage that success or failure depends on doing God's will. Not necessarily the outcome that we think is correct. In this story, it's very likely that Epaphroditus, while he was sick on the way to Rome, felt like he was failing in the task that he had been given. Epaphroditus was supposed to be the messenger of Philippi, the servant of Paul. He was sent on a mission that he felt God had called him to. And he almost doesn't make it. If he was judging it by human standards, he said he, he probably would think that he had failed in what he had been sent to do. But we see here that Epaphroditus isn't a failure. Paul says he's actually a hero, someone to be used as an example. Why? Because he accomplished what he set out to do? No. But because he faithfully followed where God led. He was willing to follow God even when his life was at risk. Now, it's really easy for us to believe that the things that we are doing don't have any value or are insignificant. It's really easy for us to believe that we have failed or are currently failing. It's easy to believe that if we are trying to do something that doesn't fit within the world's model of success, then we have fallen short. I can tell you there have been many times here at Ivanrest in which we have set out in a certain direction, Believing, what, believing we had the vision of what the future should or would or will look like. 
Programs like Alpha or Music in Motion originally had different final visions in mind. But as time progressed, they ended up being a lot different than they were originally planned to be. Now in those moments, and there are probably moments in your life as well, we can look at those compared to the original plan and, com- and declare them failures. But we see here through Paul's words that that isn't the case. There are many times in our lives in which God's definition of success is different than ours. Our task as Christians is to faithfully follow where God is calling, to give our lives to him and live the way that he leads us to live. And if we are doing that, then we succeed, like Epaphroditus succeeded. And whether the outcome turns out to be the way we thought it would be or not, We can trust that God is happy with what we've done. And actually, we then can begin to see a more complex plan than the one we set out on. Like I said, Alpha doesn't look like like what I thought it would when we started a year and a half ago. But I'll tell you, we have seen God do some amazing things in the lives of a number of individuals. Right, Marv? Yeah, you're just going to keep picking on you all night, so... We've seen, we've, seen, we've seen people uh, make commitments to God that hadn't before. We've, we've, seen, we've seen growth and movement, and, and though it doesn't look like we thought it would, it's been amazing. If we were to declare it a failure, we would have, we'd be missing out on something really big, even though it isn't the vision that we had. Often, God's vision is different than what ours is, but he can lead us into, such, in, into things that are more amazing than we could dream of. So we are called to live lives like Epaphroditus, a life in which we focus on faithfully following God and trust that he will provide the outcomes he desires, honoring those who truly deserve honor. Which brings me to the final part of our message tonight. We can focus on Epaphroditus, and we ought to, and and, and follow God in the way that he has. But there's another person in this story we can use as an example, and that person is Paul. Paul spends a significant amount of time in this letter praising and assuring, Epaph- and assuring that Epaphroditus is honored for the work that he's done when he arrives back in Philippi. See, if we faithfully follow God, he can and often does lead us in directions that are different or even contrary, into the world's, of a, in, contrary to the world's idea of success. And this may mean at some points that success could or is more subtle or low-key rather than flashy or attention-drawing. This means that when we follow God, we often do so without, a large, without large amounts of worldly praise or accolades, which is honestly where the rest of us come in. You see, like Paul does here for Epaphroditus, it's our responsibility as a church community to make sure we honor those who deserve honor, both publicly and privately. It's our responsibility to encourage them to continue to serve God faithfully in the way that they've been called and to encourage each other to follow the examples of those who are serving faithfully. You see, there are people all over this church who are faithfully serving God in the way that they've been called. And there are people all over this church who get very little, if any, recognition for it. The, the whole point be, you would be trying to think, well, who are those people? Well, that's, that's my point, right? We do, you'd have to search for them to figure it out. And there's a reason for that. Because faithful service doesn't demand recognition, does it? 
So those who serve God well aren't sitting there asking for it. They're not saying, hey, everybody, I'm great. Look at me. You see, we live in a world, the rest of the world, that praises those who toot their own horn. Just watch TV for a little while, right? We praise those who declare loudly to the world, hey, everyone, look how great I am. And usually we then tell them how great they are. But Paul here is telling us to do things differently. Epaphroditus has not demanded recognition. And as we've already seen, it's very likely that he didn't even think he deserved it. But Paul sees a different picture and makes sure he gets the honor that he deserves. See, here at church, we have a lot of people like that. There are people who, as soon as the family promise sign-up goes on, their names are on the list. Now, they'd never tell you that. And the only way you'd find out is to look at the list. And, they d- and nobody knows that they do it. There are people here that as soon as they hear that our meal ministry is running out of meals, we'll, we'll fill it up before we can even tell anybody that we're out. Right? That's just what they do. There are people here that, that uh, make quilts for those who don't have them. Who if, who, if we need something baked or sewed or made, are the first people to jump in and do that. There are people here that run entire ministries as volunteers and may not get the recognition they deserve. There are people at this church that lead Bible studies and have for years and years and years. And very few, few, few people know that. Those who serve faithfully won't ask for honor or praise, nor should they, for what they do. Because that's not the reason they do what they do. Which is why it's the rest of our responsibilities to notice what they do and make sure we encourage them to continue. Because what those people do, what a lot of you do, is essential for this church and for others and for us, for this church and and the things that we do to continue to function. These people are the fuel that keep us going. And by acknowledging their value and contribution, we keep their tanks full and keep our church mission moving in the right direction. By honoring those who deserve honor, does, but, but, but honoring those who deserve honor does even more than that. Honoring those who do the hard work of the gospel encourages others to join them in their task. Paul says to honor Epaphroditus and those like him with the hope that others will use Epaphroditus as an example to strive for. They'll see him get the honor that he deserves and he said, hey, I want to do that as well. Not because I want people to look at me, but because I can see it's a valuable contribution. And the same thing will happen here when we follow Paul's example. So let's take the story of Epaphroditus to heart. Let's follow his example and live lives of faithful service to God. Following, him where, following God wherever he leads. Regardless of what the outcome might look like. Regardless of whether the outcome is flashy or simple. Just faithfully follow where God leads. And use the gifts and the skills and the talents he's give you to, given you to do that. Let's be a community that is led by God. And trusts him to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. But then let's also be a community that encourages one another, that honors those who need to be honored, even if they don't seek it. Let's, do, let's be a community that does the hard work of the gospel while lifting each other up while we do that work. 
you join me in prayer? Father God, as we come before you in prayer that tonight, each of us knows someone who has been doing the hard work of the, of the gospel and hasn't been recognized for it. God, we thank you for them. We know that, that you honor them in your hearts, and we pray that as we go out here from here today that we can be a community that, that honors those people. God, I thank you for their contribution to the church. In Corinthians, you say those who, uh, who, who seem smaller are actually treated with an honor beyond the rest. And so, God, if there are people here who felt like they've been doing the hard work and doesn't mean anything, I pray, I pray that you show them that it does, that their work is the glue that holds this whole thing together. We pray that your spirit continue to, to bind us together as a church, that you, that you show us opportunities in which we can encourage and build one another up, that we can live more like Epaphroditus and encourage people like Paul. And we pray all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You can stand up and join me in the final song.